0: 29 verse 1, now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem into the residue of the elders which were carried away captives to the priests and to the prophets and to all of the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now the letter begins verse number 4. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Build ye houses and dwell in them, and plant gardens, and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters that ye may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city, whether I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. I've had a really tough time trying to decide on the title of this message. I thought about maybe education for exiles... Or blessed in Babylon, making the best out of a bad situation, because that's what this is all about. Home away from home, or, you know, comfortable captives. But I'll tell you what I've decided on in just a minute. You know, when we think about life, there are so many things that we can't change and that we can't control. And we certainly wouldn't invite those things into our lives, that we would rather not experience, and yet God allows it. But while we can't control or change those things, we can choose how we respond to our circumstances, regardless of what they are. It's our choice how we're going to respond to them. And one bit of advice, and I'm going to use as the title of the message this morning, it's been handed down through the years. It simply says, bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. Now, I know that looks good on a Hallmark card, right? But it's not so easy whenever you feel helpless, when you feel like you're hopeless, that there's nowhere to turn and nothing you can do to change the situation. But that is exactly what we see in our text here this morning. Remember the The Israelites are exiled in Babylon and they're there because of their sin, of course. They had forsaken God. They've lost everything and now they're living under the burden of bondage and they feel hopeless. And, uh, you know, the natural tendency when things like that happen is for us to get angry. Uh, You know, we'd like to say, no, you know, we accept that as a part of God's plan. But there are so many times that even though we wouldn't come out and say it, there's something inside of us that just feels like we're being shortchanged, and we deserve better than that. You know, God maybe made a mistake, or God overlooked our uh, our goodness, or, or our need, and so we get angry, we get bitter, we get depressed. But notice. God's telling them here to make the very best out of a bad situation. And it's obvious that He wants them to do more than just survive. He wanted them to thrive in this bad situation. Now remember, their situation is not permanent because... They're there for a reason. They had forsaken God. They're there for a season. God had designed that the nation would be there in captivity for 70 years. But somehow we don't remember that when we feel that we've been trapped, that we are being tormented in some great difficulty. We seem to forget about all of that. And, And mark it down, life can turn on a dime some of you may be here today and everything's just going, per- it's perfect. Everything's going right. Not a problem in the world. You got a good report from your doctor. You got a raise last week. Everybody likes you. Everything's going good. But life can turn on a dime and, and 24 hours from now, your world can be turned upside down. And what you do in a time like that is is crucial because sometimes we make the mistake of reacting to those situations instead of responding we ought to respond rather than react because when we react you know we uh, well, we return you know evil for evil bad for bad instead of responding and doing what we should do we ought to respond in a way that always puts god in the best possible light and if we do what we should God will do what He promised. I mean, that's something that we can cling to, that we can know of a certainty that He's not going to fail. And He had made certain promises to this nation that although they're going to be in captivity 70 years now, that eventually they would return. And so the the best way to make things worse is to complain about how bad things are. If you want it to get worse, just complain about how it is. And I'm not talking about pretending that everything is well. That's that's not reality. God doesn't expect us to go through life pretending that we don't have a, you know, a migraine headache or arthritis or pretending that we've got millions in the bank whenever we're flat broke. He doesn't want us to pretend, uh, but, We mourn over our situation, but we ought not to ever murmur against God. I know that's easier said than done, right? It really is. Because a lot of times as we mourn, we begin to murmur like the children of Israel did, even when God had delivered them from Egyptian bondage, and they murmured about everything under the sun nobody could do anything right nobody including god just couldn't seem to satisfy them and history is filled with examples of people who suffered patiently through the toughest times without any complaint and became great successes when i first surrendered to preach one of the one of the greatest discoveries i made and one of the greatest joys i had was reading the biographies and autobiographies of the great preachers in years gone by. And, 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 you know, whether it's a missionary or a pastor or whatever, and and I found that they all had, it seemed like a, a common thread, something that that you saw in every story. And that was the fact that they all suffered greatly in some way or another. They went through hardships. You know, and we might think that you know, the best way for us to prosper is to avoid all of those things when in reality it's those things that enable us to become what God wants us to be. Notice the Lord said, I sent you into captivity there, I put you in Babylon. So He's not telling them, Don't you attribute that to me. We do attribute those things to God, but we never accuse Him of wrongdoing. And when we get bent out of shape because, you know, the situation that we're in and we start to complain, the problem is always the same. It's a matter of pride. That's the thing that causes us to feel like that we've been cheated. And, you know, it, 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 it makes us think, well, we're justified in stating our case because we deserve better than this. So here are the children of Israel. They're in bondage. They're uh, They're in Babylon. Separated from family and friends, all of their hopes and dreams have been dashed to pieces. Keep in mind that some of them will never be able to go back home. Many of them, you know, that were born there will never go home. This is a permanent situation for them. So, verse one tells us the circumstances, and that's what I've just stated to you, trying to describe their situation. But I want to remind you, that it was all because of their sin that caused this 70 years of captivity. Now, your situation might be different. All suffering is not a result of the fact that we have sinned against God. Sometimes God causes us to suffer in order to prevent something from happening in our lives. Sometimes God causes us to to suffer in order to in order to increase you know, some aspect of our life to make us what we need to be. So God has a lot of different reasons. But don't ever assume, oh well, it couldn't be because of my sin. Surely it wouldn't be that because, you know, I, I've really been good lately. No, we're all bad enough. We deserve whatever it is that comes our way. There's none of us that are worthy of God's grace. Not one person anywhere. So this is the situation they're in. And human nature being what it is, I've got to believe that some of those folks just, well, they felt like they're being cheated. There's Some of those folks that are not just mourning, they're murmuring against God. So in verses 4 through 7 that I just read, we see... The council. Remember, the council is coming by God through the letter from Jeremiah. Here is an education for these exiles on how to be blessed in Babylon. And, and what God said must have been shocking to them because He's telling them, Look, I put you in that bad situation. I want you to make the best out of a bad situation. And He tells them, I want you to, I want you to build houses. Well, that's something you would do back home. I want you to plant a garden. Well, that's something you would do back home. I, I want you to marry and give in marriage. I, in other words, I want you to go on with your life just like you were back home. Live the best life that you possibly can. And, and by the way, he tells them it's for the welfare of Babylon. This is their enemy. And he's telling them, "I want you to do this, you know, for their good." Note verse seven and seek the peace of the city. Why? Well, I don't know. I've, I've some of the vestiges of my old nature that are still within me. I can watch a movie or a, you know a true story on the ID channel or something like that of some terrible injustice and. Boy, it'd be easy for me to revert back to being a vigilante. Because I, you know, I think, boy, justice has got to be carried out and nobody else is going to do it. I'll take care of that business. You see. And so I've got to believe that some of these people felt that way and here comes God saying, no, no, no. Go ahead and build your houses, plant your vineyards, harvest your crop, raise your family, seek peace for the good of the city. That's not what human nature wants to do, but that's what they needed to do, you see. It's probably the last thing, by the way, that the Babylonians expected. They probably thought that the Israelites were plotting for an uprising, you know, in order to overthrow them. And You've got to believe this would have made a great impression on those Babylonians. That wow, these people... Are becoming acclimated, you know, to the system here. They're fitting right in. They're not troublemakers. They're peacemakers. And that's got to make a great impression on them. That's exactly what God intended. That's the part of the reason for this whole situation. They had sinned against God, so God is sending them into captivity not only to teach them a lesson, but to teach the other Gentile nations that the God of Israel is the true and the living God. And if that's what it took to get the message there, God said, so be it. And He allowed His people to be put in that situation. Seventy years of captivity. And they're going through it one way or another. Whatever it is that you're facing, you're going through it one way or another. And it's up to you to decide how you're going to go through it. Someone said years ago, said, wherever you are, be all there. That's really good advice. Whether you're in church, wherever you are, be all there. It's real easy to sit in the service like this and your mind is a thousand miles away, or you're already thinking about, you know, what you're going to have for lunch, or you're thinking about what you did yesterday. Wherever you are, be all there. And when you're in one of those situations, those hard places in life where it seems like everything is against you, be all there. You have a life to live regardless of what the circumstances are. And even in the worst situation, we ought to be the very best that we can be. Why? Well, for for one thing, it's a reflection on God that we represent. So this is the counsel that He's giving to them. Build your houses. Go on living just the way that you would if you was back home. But now notice what happens in verse 8 and 9. Here we see their caution. Verse number 8 says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Let not your prophets and your diviners, that be in the midst of you, deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams, which ye cause to be dream. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord." Now here is a warning, and warnings are important. You know we don't like to hear warnings, do we? I'd a whole lot rather hear music than warnings. But you know, if you're going down the highway and about to cross a railroad track, you don't need you know you don't need some music. You need a warning whenever a train's coming. Warnings are important. And one of the most important warnings that we ever receive is who we listen to. That is where we get our information. You see, when people are desperate, they tend to be deceived easily. They're desperate and they're deceived easily. And remember, these are so-called preachers that are in their midst. Anybody can claim to be a preacher. A lot of folks have been you know, claiming to be a preacher for years, and yet God had nothing to do with it. They created a platform for themselves not to preach the Word of God, but rather, rather to express their views. That's why I keep saying what the Bible says is always more important than what I say about it. And so the Lord is warning them that there are going to be those that will try to mislead you. In fact, if you go back and read chapter 28, which we don't have time to do, there we read about a false prophet who claimed that within two years the king and his people of Israel that they would return from Babylon to Jerusalem. And in fact, they said, and even along with all of the gold that the Babylonians had, Wow, that was exactly what the people wanted to hear. No doubt some of them thought, well, enough of this Jeremiah fellow who's all doom and gloom and all he does is preach and cry. Enough of that. Let's go over and hear these guys. Because, I mean, they've got it all figured out. Two more years, we'll all be back in Jerusalem. And we'll have all of the gold of the Babylonians. The only problem with that, it was, it was a lie. It was a lie. It so irritates me when preachers take advantage of the desperation of people. You'd be amazed if you knew how many poor widows on a fixed income are taken advantage of by preachers that prey upon them. And, you know, selling them the idea that, well, well, if you just send us a certain amount of money, and by the way, the more the better, because if you send enough, you can drive a, you know, you can drive a new Cadillac like I've got, or, you know, I used to, used to say that like it's really something, I'm still preaching like I did 50 years ago, Cadillac, nothing, they don't want a Cadillac, they want a Lamborghini or something nowadays, and they get it. And they, say, they settle on the idea that if, you, if you'll just do as I say, you can have what I've got. No, you can't. You do what they say, and you'll be fortunate if you're alive in a, in a year or so. They'll take absolutely everything that you've got. So here is this warning. Don't you dare listen to these people. You beware of who you listen to. There are times, you know, people are going through marital problems and all of a sudden it seems like they've got it resolved because they read a certain book by a certain famous somebody. Boy, I could call a bunch of names. And they said it was all right for me to dump my husband and go marry who I want to. They said it was all right because after all, he was a dirty, rotten bum. Of course, you know, they don't tell the other side of the story. Maybe there's a reason the guy took all he could take and he said, I'm out of here. That doesn't make him right, but it never makes us right. It never justifies us disobeying God because somebody else said that it's okay if you do that. No, it's not. I mean, we're either going to follow God or we're not. And if we follow God, most of the time we're not going to be following what somebody else says. If we can't depend on this blessed old book to guide us, we don't have anything to depend upon. So he gives them the counsel that they need in the situation that they're in. He cautions them, be careful who you listen to. But then we come to maybe what's the best part, beginning in verse 10, and that's the consolation. Verse 10 says, For thus saith the Lord... I'm so glad that God always has something to say about whatever we're going through. Thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform My good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Oh, if I was physically able, I could preach from now to six o'clock tonight on those verses that I just read. Here we see that God has a purpose for our pain. God has God has a plan for our predicament. God has a promise concerning our prospects. And and, and here in verse 11 especially, and this is where I want to keep my main focus here and it's one of the most popular verses in all of the Bible and I'm not even going to try to go through all of it but But here is the promise, and keep in mind, this is the promise that God's making to Israel. Uh, You know, we sing a little chorus, or I say we do. I'm sure that all of you have. If you've been in church very long, you know, if you were raised in church and a little child, every promise in the book is mine. Well, that really sounds good, but it's not true. Every promise in the book isn't yours. There are a lot of promises in the book that's given to specific people. It's not for everyone. And here is a promise that God is making to Israel. And keep in mind that, that 70 years meant that some of these people are going to spend every day of their life in Babylon. They'll be born there. They have no idea what it was like back in Jerusalem. They hear mom and dad and grandpa and grandma talking about how it used to be back home. It was so wonderful in Jerusalem. but They don't know anything about that. They were born in Babylon and they're going to spend all of their life there and they're going to die there. This promise of returning to Babylon was for the nation, not for the individuals certainly if they live long enough, some of them, you know, naturally, that would happen. But this is a promise to the nation. So you can see how some of these people might have thought God God has forgotten us. God has forsaken us. Because they look at the situation and think, you know, I'll never get back there. Seventy years, and you know, maybe some fellow that's sixty years old says, well... You know, 20, 30, 40 more years to go, I'll never get to see the homeland again. This promise doesn't mean anything to me. This promise is for the nation of Israel. But understand this, that doesn't mean it's of no value to you and I. The promise is not for you, but there are certain principles in the promise that relate to us and based on what the Bible teaches everywhere else. We can see how this same verse 11 can be a comfort to us. God says, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about you. Isn't that a great thought? That God has you in his thoughts. God thinking of you. Imagine that. The God of the universe thinking about little old you. God has you in his thoughts. So don't ever think that everybody has forgotten me. Well, No, everybody hasn't. God never forgets about you. The other thing we see is that God desires good for us. That's God's end game, folks. God's not trying to hurt you. He's trying to heal you. He's trying to bless you. God wants what is best for you. And that's what He's telling them. They would have never chosen that, you know, okay you know, we didn't do what we should have done, so let's all move to Babylon for the next 70 years. That wasn't their decision to make. That's what God did. And they would have never made that decision, by the way. And when God sent them there, no doubt some of them thought, this is the worst thing that could have ever happened to us. And in reality, God is working out His good through them. But notice something else here. Although God was working for them, He required something from them. Verse 12, Then shall you call upon Me, and ye shall go and pray unto Me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall seek Me and find Me, when you shall search for Me with all of your heart. You see, God is expecting something from them, and God expects something from us. And we have the assurance, look at verse 14, that God is going to fulfill His promise. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord. And I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all of the nations and from all of the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. That's why God is saying to them, regardless of where you are in life, make the best of it. And I know we hear something like that and we think, preacher, that, that is just too much. I, I can't do it. You don't know what I've gone through. You don't know my fan, financial situation. You don't know my family situation. You know, just last week, you know, my wife left me and or just last week, A kid got arrested for drugs and 411 other different things that we could come up with. Things that are against us and what have you. Listen, God's saying you make the best out of a bad situation. And the fact that God commands it proves that you can do it. And it's our responsibility to make the best out of a bad situation. It's our responsibility to bloom where we are planted. Think about it like this for a minute. I love to hear Brother Nolan sing that little song, Heaven is better than this. We'd all agree on that, right? And the Bible tells us to die is gain. Why? Well, because heaven is better than this. Heaven's a lot better than this. But we're not home yet. We're not home yet. Bev used to sing that song, We're not home yet, children. Children. We're not. We've got a life to live. And there are hills and there are valleys. There are friends and there are foes. There are great difficulties and wonderful delights. Life is tough any way that you look at it. Heaven is better than this, but God has put us here. We're not home yet, but we ought to live as though we were. Let that sink in. I'm going to be through in just a matter of a minute or two. But I want that to really sink in. We're not home yet, but we're to live as though we were. How do I know that? Well, because Jesus said whenever you pray, Matthew 6.10, you're to pray like this, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth, what? As it is in heaven. Every one of us, whatever situation that we're in, things we can't control, things that we can't change, we ought to bring a little bit of heaven into the situation. And he said, in the seeking the peace of the city, that is the Babylonians, you will find peace. We're all looking for satisfaction. Call it happiness, whatever you want, but... We're all looking for satisfaction and that comes from us making the best out of a bad situation. You know, God puts us in our need of Him and become the kind of people... Tim Hansel in a statement that he made about his physical problems and what have you... And he said, I prayed hundreds if not thousands of times for the Lord to heal me. And he finally healed me of the need to be healed. I can't tell you how that struck me the first time that I read it. I thought, wow, that's that's the way it ought to be. I'll never forget Brother Dennis Maxey sitting in my office and and uh, sharing with me that he had cancer, I was there in the hospital with him whenever the doctor came in and and uh, told him basically how it was going to be but I'll never forget we were sitting there discussing it and talking about the situation and the hopelessness of it and he All of a sudden got that big smile that he was famous for and looked me straight in the eye and he said, But God is God and He's going to do whatever He wants to do. And he paused for a moment and said with a smile, and that'll be all right. That'll be all right. That's blooming where you're planted. That's making the best out of a bad situation. It was Tim Hansel that I just quoted who also said if you have to move even 10 inches from where you are in order to be happy, you'll never be happy. You never will. Well, we think if I could just, I could just get this and do that and so forth. No, no, no. If we can't bloom where God has planted us and bring a little bit of heaven to earth, we're never going to really be happy anywhere regardless of what the situation is because God, listen, and I'm done, God puts us in situations that are too much for us so that we can learn that no situation is too much for Him. That's exactly what God's doing in our life. That's why Paul said, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Well, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And he could say that because it's whenever we are at our weakest that we realize our need of God, and we're depending on Him instead of self. My challenge to you this morning, bloom where you're planted. Make the best. You you can't change the situation. You're going through it. One way or the other. And you can do it with bitterness and anger and resentment or you can bloom where you're planted and make the best out of a bad situation. When you do that, you'll find what you've been looking for and others will see it just as the Babylonians saw it. And boy, what an impact it made on them. Read the book of Daniel. What an impact it made on them to realize the changes that happened as a result of seeing that the God of Israel was the true and the living God. Let God use you to show others what a great God we serve. Let's all stand together. Father, Lord, we thank You that even though we can't understand Your ways, that we know that we can trust Your heart. We know, Lord, that even whenever You allow things to come into our life and You do things that we wouldn't invite, and we go through difficulties that we, that we well, we resent. And Lord, we're just so thankful that You are working in our lives, doing things that are beyond our understanding. And You're doing it for our our own good. And so that You might be glorified. And I pray this morning, Lord, there are folks here no doubt going through really difficult situations. Things they don't want to talk about. They don't want to stand up and and just pour out their heart as to all of their burdens and problems. They don't want to do that. And yet they feel like climbing to the highest mountaintop and shouting out to the world, Poor me. God, help us to remember that we don't deserve anything. Let us be satisfied then with everything. And to serve You the best that we can, that there be no blot on our record showing that we not only mourn, but we also murmur. God, may it not be so. May we accept what You send. And allow You to use it for our glory. If there's someone here this morning not saved, Lord, may this be the day they see their need of You in their life and they might trust Christ to save them here this morning. In Jesus' name. Now as we stand together and lift our voice in song, You come.